0: Area 941 podcasts are produced and distributed by community-powered 94.1 KPFA Radio. Please help support Area 941
1: at kpfa.org. I'm Richard Walensky. This is KPFA's Bay Area Theater podcast, featuring stage reviews, along with extended versions of interviews heard on Arts Waves on Cover to Cover. My guest is Josh Costello, who has just been named the new artistic director of Aurora Theatre Company in Berkeley. Josh Costello has been the literary manager and artistic associate at Aurora Theatre Company since 2012. Before that was the director of education at Marin Theatre Company, directed several shows, including Ideation, both at San Francisco Playhouse and in New York, also Eureka Day, which was maybe my favorite show of the season at Aurora, which we'll talk about in a minute. Uh, I've seen a lot of shows at Aurora, and sometimes it feels like Aurora, even though it uses the same top talent that Marin, SF Playhouse, ACT, Berkeley Rep Theater Works use, doesn't seem to get the kind of publicity that these other theater companies get, is it because it's a little smaller, more intimate?
0: Yeah, we have 150-seat space, um, and it's in a thrust configuration, so the audience is always right there, right up in front of the the actors. The actors are right in your laps, pretty much. It allows us to do this really detailed, nuanced acting, which people really appreciate. It really uh, allows us to tell stories with a lot of subtlety. And I think the people who know about us absolutely love us. There was a lot of talk through the process of applying for the job about Aurora, you know, shouldn't be the best-kept secret. We should be the worst-kept secret in town. (laughs) Uh, And so there's been a lot of talk
1: about what that means and, and what we might do going forward. And one element I found in seeing the creditors, and every time I've been to Aurora, except sometimes opening night, the audience is very old. And I'm watching this, and I'm seeing great performances and I'm seeing a median age of 70. How do we bring it down? What are your plans to bring people, younger people, into the theater? Sure. Well, first I want to say we have a remarkable audience.
0: We have a very loyal subscriber base who are incredibly intelligent and engaged with the world and really thinking about the issues that our plays are, are talking about. Whenever we do a talk back, they always have fantastic questions. And so I, I really do love our audience. But I also agree that we have done a better job over the last you know, couple of decades in bringing in the older audience, and we haven't focused as much on bringing in younger folks. And bringing in younger folks is very much something that it's also what I've always been most passionate about doing. You know, Impact Theater that I started way back was all about making theater for people in their teens and 20s. And we did a lot of thinking about what that means. And for Aurora going forward, what's important to me is that we are the storyteller for our whole community. I think that's what a theater ought to be. And I think the way that you do that is you tell stories that address the issues that people are talking about in the community anyway, right? You tell relevant stories, whether it's a classic play, then you're bringing out the themes that resonate today, or whether it's a brand new play like Eureka Day that really speaks specifically to this community and specifically to to the issues. You know, that was a play about Berkeley parents, entitled Berkeley parents and (laughs) and vaccinations, right? And and then the debate around vaccinations. And so people who were Parents, you know, people in their 30s, people in their 40s heard about that play and
1: said, oh, my gosh, I can't miss that. I've got to be a part of that conversation. There's a set piece toward the end of Act One, Uh which is less about vaccination and more about Social media. Mm
0: -hmm. (laughs) I mean, that was the funniest scene I think I've ever staged. But ultimately, it's a play about how do you resolve a situation with people with whom you disagree on the facts? How can you arrive at any kind of agreement or consensus if you don't have facts as your basic starting point? And that's such a big issue in our country today in a variety of ways. And that's what I think made that play so special was that it, it got at these really big questions through something very, very specific.
1: How did you find the play?
0: We commissioned it. Really? So we, yeah, we knew uh, the playwright, Jonathan Spector, had been part of our Global Age Project new play development program in the past a couple of times. And I had worked with him in, on a reading or two here and there. And we when we started Originate and Generate, our new play development program at Aurora, he was one of the first playwrights that we commissioned. And so we asked him, what plays do you want to write? And this was one of the ideas that he had, was something about vaccinations. And we got excited about that. And Read every draft that he wrote. We brought in actors and did readings. Over the course of two years, we developed that play with him to the point where we gave it its world premiere.
1: What I found interesting was that as a world premiere, it seemed more fully formed than mm. most world premieres, particularly – that brilliant scene.
0: <laughs> that scene. So that we, you're talking about a, the, the Facebook scene where they, right. they the characters are having a town hall, a virtual town hall on Facebook, and the Facebook comments are being projected by video on the set behind them. So you can read along with what uh, is happening in the comments section. And it is the worst cesspool of Facebook comments that you could ever possibly imagine. And it's, and it's hilarious, but also, you know, it, it points to something about what's going on today. And to do that, you know, that was a very difficult scene to achieve technically and we were able to use our funding for this Originate and Generate new play development program at Aurora to actually bring in our video designer and the actors and the playwright before rehearsals even began to spend some serious hours in the space with a video projector, with the computers, experimenting with how to make that scene work so that Jonathan could then go back and rewrite the scene based on, you know, real information about how it would work on stage rather than sort of trying to guess at it and then fixing it in rehearsal as we went.
1: As the director, what was your role between the actors and the playwright and the designers?
0: The director is always the one who's trying to keep an eye on what is the story we're telling and how are we working together to to tell it. And so everybody has ideas, everybody comes in with their own take on the material. That was a play that put the characters against each other in a in a pretty, you know, powerful way, but also we had to believe that all these characters had each other's best interests in mind, right? They're all good people trying to do the right thing. And so my role was really about hearing everyone and helping everyone articulate what story we're telling and helping Jonathan figure it out. You know, he and I, you know, spent a lot of time over the last two years developing the play and going out for beers and talking about various drafts and, and what should be in and what should be out. Tom Ross, the artistic director, was very involved as well and had great ideas. So it was a it was a real group effort to bring that together. And Jonathan's a brilliant playwright.
1: Is it going anywhere?
0: It is, yeah. Jonathan, you know, he he has an agent now as a result of this. There's nothing I can say right now, but there will be more productions of Eureka Day coming up.
1: When you applied for the job, you're a white man. Was it a little bit easier once— ACT and Berkeley Rep chose women?
0: It's something I've certainly thought about. And I, I feel like, as a white man in this business, I've had a lot of opportunities over many, many years that maybe, you know, I have realized, I've come to realize that maybe other people might not have had. And I I hope that I've you know taken good advantage of them and done really solid work with the opportunities I've been given. But I recognize that not everybody gets those same opportunities, and so I feel like going forward, it's it's absolutely my responsibility to make sure that those opportunities are going to be available to people who might not have had them in the past. And I, I, that's something that's incredibly important to me going forward at Aurora.
1: And that means directors. That means playwrights. directors,
0: playwrights, designers, actors, everybody. Yeah.
1: Aurora does something else that very few companies do. Occasionally, ACT does it, or at least under Carrie Perloff, they did it, which is bring in shows from the canon. This season, there's two shows from the canon, um, and usually there are multiple shows from the canon. Um, I assume you'll continue this?
0: Sure. I mean, I'm, I'm particularly interested in new plays, but I also love Shakespeare. I love Oscar Wilde. I'm directing The Importance of Being Earnest next. And, and I, I certainly expect that Aurora would continue doing classic plays once a season from time to time. I'm not sure exactly how often. But the focus is going to be on what do these classic plays have to say today? I never want to do a play just because it's a great play right i don't want to say oh this is the same great play you saw when we did it 15 years ago or when so and so did it 10 years ago i want to do it because this play even though it was written 100 years ago even though it was written 400 years ago the themes of this play are resonating with our community right now right we are not separate from our community as artists right we're all dealing with the same issues we're all fighting the same battles and We want to bring our experience as members of this community into our art. And when we're doing a classic play, it's about claiming that play for this exact moment
1: in time and this exact community. Josh Costello, what exactly does that mean? I mean, you're not going to change the play. Mm -mm. Every time you do a play, you're making choices,
0: right? You're making choices about which character is in focus at which moment in the play. What line is going to stand out? And what themes is this production going to focus on through the design, through the casting, through the staging, through every aspect of the production? And so it's about looking for... You know, with Importance Being Earnest, it's coming up right now. And this is a play that is a comedy. And famously, Oscar Wilde wants you not to think too hard about what the deeper meaning might be, right? If you look for the symbol, you do so at your peril. And it's a play that's very, very silly. And there is something about doing a play that is very silly. And the the nature of the comedy in that play is actually quite subversive. It's all about saying the opposite of the expected thing. And then we laugh because the opposite of what's expected turns out to be more true than the expected thing, and it reveals how false of the expected thing to say actually is right. That's something that I think is really wonderful, and and bringing people together to have a chance to laugh at ourselves in that way is something that I think can be quite contemporary. And you know, when you see the cast of this play, it's going to look different than, than a lot of other productions of *The Importance of Being Earnest*. It's a much more diverse cast than uh, than you might have seen in other productions before. And I'm really excited about the amazingly funny, talented people that we have bringing this story to life. So it's going to be more colorblind. Color-conscious casting, you know, more than colorblind. You don't want to uh, minimize the the contributions that people bring based on their backgrounds, right? Everybody has a different point of view to bring, and you want to really honor that and value that and have it inform the production.
1: How far along are you on that now? At this point,
0: Ernest, we're finishing up casting now. We we've had our first major production meeting with the designers. We start rehearsal in March.
1: Being a thrust stage is very different. And being at Aurora, as someone with hearing issues, it's particularly difficult for me when someone is turned away. Mm -hmm. Uh, I talked to Tom Ross about this, and he said that it's something that he has to impart to the actors over and over and over again. And, in fact, the choreography of the play itself has to reflect that. Is that something that you work with specifically in the same way as Tom does, you think?
0: I do. I love Aurora's Thrust space. I think it is the most exciting space to work in in the Bay Area. And I've I've directed at a few other theaters, and I I really love uh, working in the Thrust. And it's partially because not only is the audience so close to the actors, but because you do have audience behind you all the time, right? There's audience on three sides of the actors. You are forced to, as you said, choreograph the play in such a way that, that people have a lot of reasons to turn around, right? People are moving. People are changing places. There's a lot of reasons for people to move move and the nice thing about that is that every time an actor changes positions on stage you're telling the audience that something has changed in the relationship right it's it's a it's the next piece of the puzzle it's the next beat in the story. Right. And so because you're in the thrust space and you have to move them more, it gives you a more granular ability to tell that story, to say now something else has changed. What Now we're in a new dynamic. Now we're in a new relationship. And so, yeah, you're moving people around so that people get a chance to hear everybody and people get a chance to see everybody's face. But it's also it, it, it helps tell the story. And I think that's part of what makes our plays so powerful. Uh,
1: when you're talking about making things contemporary, there's obviously the fear that when you're developing a play or when you're developing a season, that a year, two years from now, things will have changed. And some theater companies I know kind of have to feel they have to throw that away simply because things change too fast. You got really lucky, I guess, (laughs) with Eureka Day, and it sounds like you're going to be really, really lucky with Actually as well. Mm -hmm. How do you think in terms of ensuring that you are contemporary, but that times don't pass you by.
0: Sure. I mean, things are changing very fast. And it's hard, you know, when we were thinking about programming a season, you know, during the uh, 2016 campaign, and we didn't know who was going to win that election. And that would really change what issues are going to come up. We don't know a year from now. (laughs) where we'll be at as a nation. And there's a lot of issues that are coming up now that, you know, maybe could have been predicted a year ago, but could have gone a different way, too. So that's always something we're thinking about. I mean, I think both Eureka Day and Actually, which is a play about potential sexual misconduct on a college campus, you know, those issues, vaccinations and issues around sexual misconduct, are unfortunately sort of perennial issues in our society. And I think there is always something in the news about one or the other of those. We're going to be trying to, again, think about what, what's important to us as members of our community, what's important to our friends and family, what are people talking about. We're going to choose plays that, you know, by playwrights who are who are really addressing those issues.
1: You have a second space, mm-hmm. Harry's Upstairs, and I've seen a couple of plays there, very, very intimate. How mm-hmm. many people does that hold?
0: It's a 49-seat space, but it's configurable, so we can do it in different configurations. Do you
1: plan to use that space again?
0: Absolutely we hope to use it more yeah there's a lot of things we can do we have one show that's part of our regular season in there that's fully produced with lights and sets and sound and everything and that's actually is the next one That's it. that just started rehearsal this week we'll be doing another play in there as part of the season next season. I expect we'll we'll continue to do that. We also do developmental workshops in there. We do a, a what we call a cabaret show in the in the winter. It's also a space where potentially we could be hosting other companies who need a space for for one thing or another. There's a lot of different stuff that can happen in there. One of the things we're talking about is how we can increase our our staff capacity to, so that we can handle doing more work in that space.
1: Given that you've been working closely with Tom Ross the past 5 years, It's almost as if the transition is minimal. Yeah, we'll see. To be clear, Tom Ross is the artistic director,
0: and he makes the decisions about the scripts. I I read the scripts as they come in, and I write script reports, and, and Tom and I talk about Everything. I'm sort of the sounding board. He can bounce ideas off me. And it's been really wonderful to, to get to know his process and to get to know him. He's a wonderful artist and a great leader. But it has absolutely been him. So, you know, when I'm sliding into the role, I have the advantage of having seen how things work quite closely for a while now. But I also have some real differences from Tom and it's going to be a different company going forward. For me, the highest priority is going to be on welcoming new audiences into Aurora in order to do that on telling stories that speak really specifically to our community in the present moment. It's not that that has not been important to Tom and to Aurora, but that's much more of what I want to focus on. I think uh, we've done a great job, as I've said, of, you know, building up a really wonderful base of, of subscribers. And I think now it's time to take the next step and continue serving those subscribers, but also really letting everybody know in the community that this is a place where you can come together and share in the experience of a story that really speaks to issues that you're dealing with in your life right now.
1: Do you see any difference in how you would view an audience or a play than say how Berkeley Rep just inches from you would? <laughs> sure, I mean,
0: I think every theater is different and every theater has their own particular, you know, style and, and idea and, and vision. Um, you know, Berkeley Rep does some amazing, wonderful work. They do a lot of work that is really connected to the national scene. They, they bring in artists from New York all the time. It's a, it's a very different kind of programming. They have a lot of advantage. They have a lot of resources. They do, you know, they do this great new works program. And I think what makes Aurora different from a company like Berkeley Rep is that we really are able to focus on our own community in a more powerful way. And our artists, for the most part, are local people who are part of this community,
1: which are frequently the same artists you'll see at SF Playhouse and at Marin and Theater Works as well.
0: Sure. Yeah, SF Playhouse and Marin Theater Company are the other mid-sized companies in the area.
1: Yeah. I guess you will be involved with the next season directly, but also a little bit because Tom will be around. Yeah, so Tom is planning next
0: season, and I'm involved in that process as literary manager and artistic associate. And it's it's a little funny now, because now that I've been named the next artistic director, that's, of course, informing the whole conversation about, you know, Tom won't be there when we're doing these plays, and I will. But he's still the artistic director through July, and I'll step in on August 1st. But the season will already be set by then. We'll be starting rehearsals for the first show in August. So I'll be I think technically I'm choosing one of the plays as they, they're holding one slot for the new artistic director, but it's a it's a big conversation. But Tom's the Tom's the artistic director for
1: now. I'd like to talk a little bit about the rest of this season. Currently, Creditors is running through March third by Strindberg. It's a very intense three-person play. This is sort of spoiler question. I picked up immediately who the older man was. Mm. My friend did not. I kept thinking, did Strindberg expect the audience to know who he was or was that part of the surprise? And I couldn't tell. I'm not sure what Strindberg intended for that. That's a great question. Uh, I think I think
0: some people pick up on it pretty quickly and other people it's a surprise when it's revealed later on.
1: In terms of that, using three people in that setting making sure they all walk around it's a very talky play mm-hmm. but at the same time you're you have to keep the audience interested for an hour and 3 quarters was that an issue going in i think with a play
0: like that you need a cast of people who are great with language who can really bring out all of the nuance and all of the meaning in these words, because it is. It's a play about language. It's a play where language is used to manipulate. Language is used ultimately to to really hurt someone. And so you've got to have actors who can bring a level of specificity and a level of nuance to each moment and to each line so that you're able to track that process of the words landing on the other actor and infecting them and informing the next line that they say and being able to follow that so that it's it's regardless of the staging. I mean, the staging is absolutely part of it, but it's about how those words are landing on a person. And when that is brought out in such a clear way as these actors are able to do with Barbara Damaschek's wonderful direction. Uh, it, it hopefully makes the play engaging on a moment-to-moment level.
1: Strindberg, we know for Miss Julie, uh-huh. but some of these other plays are lesser known. Sure, yeah. I mean, I I keep a list
0: of of classic plays that that we um you know might do someday, and I keep track of you know when what other theaters have done and and you know how, what the cast size is because often that's a limiting factor, and so. Creditors is a Strindberg play. It's not that well-known, but it was it was Carrie Perloff's first play at ACT a while back. Um, so the play has been done in the Bay Area before. It's a three-actor drama that, that is um, on a single set, and that makes it relatively straightforward to produce. And so we were looking for a play that would fill our season and that would fit well with our season, that would have a certain level of quality that, that we like to bring to Aurora, and that would be a powerful story. And so this one sort of fell into place for those reasons.
1: Is it one you would have
0: picked It's an interesting question. I don't know. This one, the play has a lot to do with misogyny. It's very much, you know, Strindberg talked about his own misogyny as something that he acknowledged. And the play, I think tells a story about a character who is very misogynistic. And this is clearly not a hero in the play, right? This is this is presented as something very negative. But it's also spending a lot of time just living inside this very dark, dark place. And so I had questions for Tom when we were talking about the plays about, you know, what is this play actually saying about this? What is it? How is it moving the conversation forward? Is it just going over, you know, the same ground that, that has been gone over by Neil Lebuter or, or, or what have you? I'm very glad that we're doing the play. Audiences are really, really enjoying it
1: from my perspective, watching it, of course, I'm coming up with the same questions. Mm-hmm. And my friend kept going, you know, I don't want to put any any judgments on it because, of course, this is another society in a mm-hmm. different time. But as you watch it, you're trying to sense exactly what Strindberg's position is yeah. with regard to women right. and power right. in a relationship. Well, and the nice thing is that he writes the the female character in this play with such power
0: and and grace and and sort of agency on her own. And I think the performance uh, that Rebecca Dines is giving is is really remarkable. And you know, Barbara Damisch talks about the director of the play, talks about this being a play that really goes deep into what that misogyny is, and it's something that has been such a big part. Of our society for so long and still really is a part of our society today. And so a play that gets inside that kind of behavior perhaps has something relevant to say about it.
1: The next show up is actually by Anna Ziegler. Came from New York, City Center 2017. How did you find it? We're familiar with Anna Ziegler for some time. I think she's a really amazing
0: playwright. We've been looking at several of her plays, and this was not the first one that we thought about doing. And we haven't uh, chosen one of her plays yet, but each of the last couple seasons, they've been high on our list. And so when this one came out and, you know, I was able to to get a copy of it and read it and found it really, really powerful. And when we were putting the season together, this one felt like a good one for Aurora to do. When you walk into Harry's upstairs, what do people see? Every configuration is different when we go into the We call it the Dasha wing. I think it's Harry's upstage in the Dasha wing. And that's a space that was built for you know, rehearsals and for parties and events, and then we realized that it could be used as a 49-seat theater. And so we build an audience in there in, in various different configurations. So sometimes it's, you know, in the alley configuration with the audience on two sides facing each other. Sometimes it's theater in the corner, sort of the audience wrapping around, almost like in our, our main stage. And sometimes it's an end-stage proscenium configuration. And so for this one, that's what we're doing. We did it once before for what called The Letters, uh, which Mark Jackson directed a few years ago. We're going back to that configuration where the audience is all on one side, on platform forms, and the stage is on the other side, and we're building a set. Uh, Giulio Perone is designing the set. It'll be a proscenium stage, so it'll feel like a, a
1: traditional theater for this one for a change. And there's a man and a woman. He's mm-hmm. black. She's white. They're both in college at Princeton, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. That's right, yeah. What Anna Ziegler does, I think, better
0: than anybody else, is she has a style of writing where the characters can go in and out of scenes where they're, they're talking to each other in the middle of a scene and they're narrating the story to the audience at the same time and they're able to go back and forth between those two levels of reality with a really wonderful sense of poetry and of, of connection. A lot of playwrights experiment with that kind of writing. And I feel like Anna Ziegler really owns it. And they are telling a story of how they met and an incident that happened between them early on in their in their college careers that has led to a sexual misconduct hearing at the college to determine whether there was a violation of the school's sexual misconduct policy. And as they tell the story, you hear from both of them and you realize that this is a story that is about a lot more than Did this happen or did this not happen? It's a lot about how young people present themselves in society, how young people present themselves, how young people learn about themselves. It's really a a, a deep, complicated, fascinating, beautiful play.
1: When you're doing a show in the smaller theater, the uh, run will run longer? It does, yeah. Uh, Two months?
0: About that, yeah. Yeah, it depends. It's it's often We often end up having to extend these shows quite a bit because a lot of people want to see them.
1: And I guess it's easier to do extend if you don't have another thing coming in.
0: Exactly. Yeah, we're a little bit more open-ended in the
1: other space. Do you only allow for one extra week for extensions on the main stage? On the main stage,
0: we have room for two extra weeks. And occasionally we we go there. We often do one extra week and sometimes we do two.
1: And that's determined by the ticket sales. Mm-hmm. Guess, you know. uh, the next show is your show. Your baby, uh, importance of being earnest. Oscar Wilde. Oscar Wilde. Okay, so people walk in and they see a drawing room with a lot of people in it. How does it open?
0: We're going to have a lot of fun with the set for this one. Nina Ball is my scenic designer. I think she is uh, just one of the most talented uh, scenic designers anywhere. I've worked with her before. She's worked at Aurora a bunch and all the other uh, theaters in the Bay Area. She's fabulous. And um, she is designing a set for this play that is inspired by the Art Nouveau movement. And it is going to be a little more abstract than you might expect for An Importance Being Earnest. It it certainly will have some furniture and will feel a little bit like a drawing room, but it will have that sort of remarkable... Um, spirally filigree of the Art Nouveau look that's going to be in an archway upstage and spreading down across the floor and into the furniture. It's going to be a little bit more abstract than, than you might be used to. It's going to be very beautiful.
1: How many people are in the play?
0: Uh, about eight. What's the setup? This is a play about a couple of young men who are good friends, Algernon and Jack, And Jack is in love with Gwendolyn, who's Algernon's cousin, but he has been pretending to have the name Ernest and be his own brother. When he goes into town, he goes by the name of Ernest so that he can get into trouble as Ernest, and his real name, Jack, does not get tainted with the trouble that he gets into. Because back in the country, he has a young ward, Cecily, who he wants to present a respectable front for. In the meantime, Algernon then decides he will pretend to be Jack's brother Ernest and go visit Cecily and fall in love with her. So we have two men both pretending to be Ernest, both in love with women who think they are both named Ernest, and trouble ensues from there.
1: And that turned out to be Wilde's greatest play. I I
0: mean, many people say this is the funniest play in the English
1: language, and I I have to agree. For you as a director, is it easier to uh, direct a comedy or harder? Or
0: how do you deal with that? It's always hard. It's hard either way. With a comedy, I often find that there's a looseness that can happen when the actors are able to just bring their own sense of humor to something and and cut loose a little bit. And so the first part of the rehearsal process is often just very loose and, and fun. And then as you get closer and closer to opening, you're having to set things and decide, no, it's going to be this joke and we're going to get the timing right this way. And so it sort of gets more and more constricted as you go. But you want to find ways to leave room for that sense of looseness and discovery that happens when there's an audience there. And so it's a really complicated, interesting process of, of trying to create the dynamic under which you can have the freedom to, to laugh.
1: I would think that on some level, even though previews are always important, mm-hmm. for comedy, they're more important because you can see when things land. Absolutely, absolutely.
0: Yeah, For for, I mean... You want to talk about Eureka Day, the first preview of Eureka Day, the first time an audience saw the the Facebook video scene that we were talking about, the audience laughter was so constant for a full, like, seven minutes. I've never seen anything like it. We had to rewrite all of the, the cues, the video cues, to... Spread out the laughs more. We had to make it less funny so that the actors could hear important dialogue, uh, plot points being made by the actors. Right? It, I've never had to do something like that before.
1: Well, you had two things going on at once. You right. had the the actors talking, and then you had at the same time the text, time, above, the text yeah.
0: coming through,
1: mm-hmm. and the text was absolutely hilarious.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so we intended for the laughs to run over the the dialogue in a lot of places, but there were a few lines we needed the audience to hear. <laughs> you know, so it was it was that was a really interesting process for. Well, parents. it's
1: not a Problem you're going to have with Oscar no. Wilde. <laughs> the final show of the season is a one person show, mm-hmm. uh, The Year of Magical Thinking by Joan Diddy. Uh, Nancy Carlin is directing and she's directed several shows and acted in several mm-hmm. shows at Aurora. Who's playing Joan? It's a wonderful local Bay Area
0: actor who you know and everyone in the Bay Area knows and, and is very fond of. But I'm not, I, I don't think I can say right now because I don't know whether we've sent out our press release yet.
1: One woman show in the main stage. Mm-hmm. Is that a little bit rough or? We've actually done it before.
0: We did a, a few years ago, we did another uh, solo show in in the main stage with Ron Campbell in that role. And, and uh, he was able to just find ways to, to make it very dynamic and, and very, it was before I was working in Aurora, but I saw that show. Um, so yeah, it's a little bit different for us, but it's such a powerful play and it's such a recognizable story that we thought that the main stage would be the right place
1: to do it. Uh, it's based on the book. Who decided to bring that one in? Was that you? Was that Tom?
0: Tom Ross decides on the plays. I mean, it was one that we had been aware of for a while, and we knew that, you know, Joan Didion obviously has an audience in Berkeley. You know, we got a hold of the script and read the script. You know, Tom decided it was something that we would do.
1: What do you see as the main themes of the show?
0: Clearly, it's a play about loss and about grief and about how you deal with loss and grief, right? Magical thinking is is what she engages in when she is dealing with a really horrific Loss in a situation that you know she never expected to be in, that no one ever really expects to be in, but we all have to deal with in our lives at one point or another. And I think she, what she manages to do is get inside her own head with you know such precision. It's like she's a you know she has a scalpel just going right in there and getting at the moment to moment. Thought process of somebody who is dealing with a, a tragedy that you know they they can't deal with. What actually happens in our heads? What mental thought patterns do we develop? Um, I think it's a, a quite beautiful and moving
1: piece of theater. Josh Costello, one of your other jobs as the artistic associate was working with a new play festival. Is mm. that continuing? We are
0: absolutely continuing Originate and Generate our new play development program, yes. We have commissioned Christopher Chen, who's a, a local playwright who's starting to build a really big national reputation. Fantastic playwright. He has a play that he's written that we um, we are developing um, just along the same lines as we did with Eureka Day. and We're really excited to bring that one. We've also commissioned uh, Brittany Frazier and, and Margot Hall, two other local artists, um, to do another project. Both of those projects are going to continue uh, going forward.
1: Uh, is there a still a student matinee program?
0: There is. Yeah, we started that program just a couple of years ago. We partner with Berkeley High, and especially with the African American Studies Department, and uh, we bring a couple hundred. Berkeley High School students and students from other schools in to see a performance, a special, you know, daytime performance of, of one of our plays every year. Uh, what play did you... Most recently we did Detroit 67, which is a play by Dominique Morisseau about the riots in Detroit. It was a lot of students from the African-American History Department at Berkeley High and they really connected with the play. We, we send uh, one of the actors into the school beforehand to each class that's attending to lead a workshop introducing students to the historical and cultural context of the play and also giving them a personal connection to one of the actors. And then after the play, we do a talk back right then uh, with the cast, and then one of the actors goes back into the classroom a couple days later so that they can sort of debrief and, and answer questions from the students. And then the students do projects and write letters, and it's, it's a really amazing program.
1: What do you do about trying to get kids into plays like The Creditors or uh, Ernest?
0: you know i think the student mandate program is great because it gets them in the door right and so that's a starting point at least they've they've come in the door i think it's i think it's a i think creditors is a tough sell for for teenagers you know um, i think the problem is that as a culture we have not been putting the kind of value on theater that i think it deserves i really believe in the unique and visceral power of live theater to move people and to change people's lives and i think that Young people, you know, we do some children's theater in our in our society. We don't do a lot of like really high quality theater for people in their teens and twenties. That's always been something that I feel like is is contributing to the to the problem. Where if you don't have meaningful experiences with theater as a young adult, as a young person, then it's harder and harder to get those people to come back and become uh, ticket buyers and subscribers and board members and donors later on in life, right? So I really think it's important that theaters find ways to to attract younger folks into t- the doors and I think the way you do that is again is again by relevance that then when they see a play that they f- they're coming into a space in the lobby they feel welcome they don't feel like it's somebody else's space when they sit down in their seats they feel comfortable they f- they're being treated well they're not being like you know uh, acted like uh, you know sometimes people talk about you know young folks coming into a the theater and feeling like you know everybody's well what are they doing there you know you want to feel like you're welcome um, and then when you see the play you want to recognize something of yourself on stage whether it is a classic play or whether it is a brand new play. You want to recognize something about your your own life, something that means something to you. And I think the more you do that, I think it's a long process. I don't think one play is going to solve it, right? I think it's got to be a sustained commitment to telling stories that speak to people right now.
1: And the other part of it is that I know when I was growing up, the first plays I went to were all musicals on Broadway because I was in New York and my parents went. It was only later that i began to appreciate more than musicals mm-hmm. staged plays because that's the heart of theater i think is the play
0: i mean people love musicals you know there's there that there's nothing wrong with it it's not what i'm passionate about but people love it and, and yeah <laughs> do you ever see aurora doing a musical i'm not going to put anything off the table um, it's <laughs> it's not it's not going to be a priority to look for one but if the right story came about and and somebody came to me and said hey here's a musical you know occasionally you know a director like john tracy will come to us and say hey you know what what about we do this musical but we do it an aurora way you know let's find a way to make this an intimate specific, nuanced, powerful story that's told with music. I'm open to that.
1: In terms of casting, you have the Bay Area. Do you ever bring in people from outside?
0: Once in a while, usually when there's a really specific need that the story absolutely requires an actor of a particular type that there might be people who fit that in the Bay Area, but they're, you know, they're already committed at some other theater. And there's just no other way to do it without the right exact thing. Then occasionally we, we bring somebody in from out of town. But for the most part, we use local local people.
1: Josh Costello, you've been doing all this since you got a a 2003 MFA in directing and a BFA in 96 from Boston University. How did you get involved in theater? Oh man, a
0: long time. I got involved in theater very young. I went to Berkwood Hedge School here in Berkeley and our fifth and sixth grade drama program was run by the Blake Street Hawkeyes. Do you remember the Blake Street Hawkeyes? This was a group, this is where Whoopi Goldberg came out of. They they had a a little theater in like a machine shop on on Blake Street, right below Shattuck. And they did all kinds of crazy, you know, original musicals and comedy and and wacky things. And they did plays with our. They wrote original plays for our fifth grade class to perform in their space. And I just fell in love with it. I in love with the whole process of working with a group of people on a project together, and and then uh, people coming to see it. It was something that meant a lot to me, going all the way back to fifth grade. And in in high school, I, I you know I went to El Cerrito High, and I was the, you know, big theater nerd at El Cerrito High. Started to realize, you know, how not only how much theater meant to me, but how many of my peers didn't have a connection to theater, right? How many of my peers, you know, I had my friends who were theater kids and that was great, but then most people in my generation just really didn't have any connection to theater. And I started thinking all the way back then about why is that, what is it, how can we make theater that's going to really speak to people of my generation? And so that's my whole career. I've been trying to answer that question.
1: When I talk to artistic directors and directors people who were behind the scenes, they all started out as actors. And it sounds like you didn't. Oh, no, I was an actor
0: in in fifth grade. Yeah. And I was an actor all the way through high school, too. Yeah. I mean, I started directing in in high school, but I was I was an actor for a while. But you knew pretty well from the beginning that that you were going to be something else. Everybody else knew I was going to be a director. Yeah, I think I, th- I really thought I was going to be an actor. I was actually, I went to the to Boston University's theater program as an actor. And they they had, at the time, they cut half the class after sophomore year. So I was cut from the acting program. And, you know, I went and cried in the park when I got my letter and everything and, and switched to directing at that point. But it was also the kind of thing where all my friends were already doing directing. And it was an, a very natural switch for me and, and much more in line with who I actually am, as it turns out.
1: When you got your MFA, you had a couple of jobs, and then you decided to start your own company. No, I started Impact before the MFA. I started Impact right yeah when I was I was twenty one, and I had
0: just gotten my BFA from Boston, and gathered up some friends from from Boston and some friends from back here, and said, "Let's start a theater company together." And so, some of my friends from Boston moved out across the country with me, and we uh, we started Impact Theater, and it was it was fabulous. And I ran Impact for four years, and eventually got to the point where there's a limit on what you can do when nobody's getting paid. We did some wonderful work. We did some quite bizarre work, um, some things I'm very, very proud of that that are still some of the most meaningful theater experiences I've ever had to this day. But I was ready to go to the next uh, step. And so I went away to grad school and handed the company off to Melissa Hillman. And she ran the company for 16 more years, um, which I still can't believe that that company lasted for 20 years. And it was amazing. And they introduced a lot of playwrights to the Bay Area that hadn't been produced here before. They did a lot of world premiere plays. A lot of actors and, and directors and designers came up through Impact Theater and went on to have great careers in the Bay Area. I'm very, very proud of, of Impact Theatre. Um, but I went away to, to do grad school after that. And then after grad school, moved to Los Angeles Well, my wife went to grad school, moved back here when we were pregnant with our first. And then I worked at Marin Theatre Company before coming to Aurora.
1: And the, the step from Marin to Aurora was going from director of education back into production. Yeah, I
0: was artistic director of expanded programs was my title at Marin Theatre Company. And I did, I was in charge of the education programs, but also community outreach. I did a lot of different things. And I was directing in the season over there as well. And Tom had seen a production of My Children, My Africa by Ethel Fugard that I directed at Marin Theatre Company. And that's, I think, why Tom was was excited to have me come and work at Aurora and and direct at Aurora as well. So the timing worked out well. When I was ready to uh, move on from Marin, Tom had an opening at Aurora and it all fell into place.
1: And you've also done some playwriting, Little Brother, which was a custom made. Yeah.
0: doctor um, yeah, Doctorow's a, piece. Yeah, it's an adaptation of the young adult novel by Corey Doctorow.
1: And uh, do you plan to do more playwriting?
0: Perhaps. I don't want to be one of those artistic directors who's you know always doing my own work, you know what I mean? The plays that I've written have all been adaptations, and usually what happens is there's a story that I'm really excited about directing, and the play either doesn't quite fit you know, there, it's not. You know, I, I did an adaptation of The Rover by Alfred Bain, and I did you know this adaptation of a novel, and I'm working on another one that might get done someday. I'm much more excited to commission playwrights who are real playwrights and who are really good at this, and this is what they do. And and I'm excited to be in a position where where I'm going to be able to reach out to playwrights and say, hey, what do, what do you got? What do you want to do? Here's some ideas. Let's let's make some theater together. And so that means you're pretty much going to do directing just at Aurora. We'll see. We'll see. I have in my contract, they allow me to direct one play uh, somewhere else each year if if the
1: right opportunity comes up. So we'll see. Well, you were directing one play a year. Are you going to move up to two or three? No, I'm
0: just going to do one a year at Aurora. I think there's so many wonderful directors in the Bay Area that I want to bring in. And I, I, I one, one is enough for me.
1: How many plays a year does Aurora
0: do? We do six fully staged productions per year, five in our main stage, 150 seat thrust space and one in the out wing. So the next season, Tom and you are working on together. We're working on it right now, yes. We're waiting to hear back about the rights to various plays. We've
1: got a few plays already lined up and uh, trying to to put it all together. It's always a challenge. And Creditors runs through March 3rd. For more information, you can go to auroratheater.org.